Now to the latest internet sensation. He might be going to go down as a Hall of Fame fighter. So exciting. Is this dinner too tacky for the Donald? These bogans are triple M. This is a magnificent specimen of mankind. Can I say hi? Good morning, Seb, and good morning to all your listeners. Hi! Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. It's a very good morning. Thanks for tuning in. Personally, I was pretty pumped to hear Donald Trump caught last week's show, but he wasn't too impressed with my performance. Get him out of here. Go home to mommy. He can't get a date, so he's doing this instead. How old is this kid? Get out of here. Still wearing diapers. I was a bit flat after that, and apparently Jackie Lambie wasn't a fan either. Yeah, he's just an asshole. Should be cool. Hello, I'm born with a silver spoon up my rear end. Gosh, I was copping it from all sides. Plenty coming on the weekend breakfast this morning. We've got Danny Green, of course, who is going to reveal the true love of his life. And it has four wheels. Spud Frawley is dropping bombs, particularly on the bristle man, Brian Taylor. Michael Long and Gavin Wanganeen are head of Dreamtime at the G tonight. But up next, three things you need to know from Peter Hitchener from the Channel 9 News about the bridge the Melburnians love so much, we wrote a song about it, the Montague Street Bridge. Is it low, is it too low? I don't know, but I think I'm going to go anyway. Is it low, is it too low? I don't know, but I think I'm going to try anyway. There's a bridge that's been there for a million years, and there's a man in a truck. Yeah, no, right, no, your truck's not going to fit under the bridge, mate. No, it's too too big, mate. No, no she's not, she's not going to fit under the f- Bridge, mate. Is it low? Is it too low? I don't know, but I think I'm gonna go anyway. One, two, three. Here is the three things you need to know about with Channel 9's Peter Hitchner. Yes, we love having the titan of TV news himself as a part of the weekend breakfast. And Hitchy, what are we talking about this Saturday? Three things you need to know about the Montague Street Bridge. Well, take it away, mate. The Montague Street Bridge has been hit 102 times since statistics began. Greg Blewett also recorded 102 in his test debut in 1995. Greg Blewett has never hit the Montague Street Bridge. No, I had heard that Bluey was a pretty good driver. All right, what's number two? The Montague Street Bridge has its own Twitter account. So do I. I have 38,000 more followers and a Snapchat account and Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram. You are very, very big on social media, Hitchy. That is why we love you. And the third and final thing we need to know about the Montague Street Bridge? The Montague Street Bridge is three metres and nine millimetres in height. Don't underestimate the nine millimetres. It's a trap for young players, for real. Peace out, homies. I knew you had a bit of gangster in you. Peter Hitchner, always a pleasure. Three things you need to know. That was the three things you need to know with Peter Hitchner. In the 20th century, the sporting landscape was indeed a wide world. But with the advent of the interweb communication and global overpopulation, the sporting universe is bigger than ever. And champions beyond the traditional games deserve their recognition. Presenting the Weekend Breakfast's Glittering Galaxy of Sport. And don't the kids love it? We certainly hope so. Three-time billiard world champion Robbie Faldvari is in the studio with us. And Robbie, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the UK around the time Leicester City won the English Premier League title. 
Going on at the same time was the World Snooker Championships, and the man who won it, Mark Selby, was actually from Leicester as well. So it was you know, the greatest time if you are from Leicester over there in the UK. But I was just boggled by how big snooker was. It was oh, on well, the snooker's BBC. is a massive television sport. It's um, shown all around the world. In England, uh, I could just say the World Snooker is like the Australian Open tennis, basically. Yeah. Uh, the first prize is getting on to about 700000 bucks for the winner. <sighs> What's the difference between snooker and billiards? Oh uh, well, look, English billiards is on a with three balls. Walter Lindrum, uh, while they changed the rules for Walter Lindrum, he was an icon of Australian sport, and that then snooker developed from that. You obviously can pull off some impressive trick shots. What's your best? Somebody lie on the table, put a piece of chalk in their mouth, put a ball in them on the piece of chalk, and then I put another piece of chalk on the cushion with the cue ball there. Then I get down low, try and hit the white ball off the chalk pot the, and hit the ball just over their mouth <laughs> and then pot that ball. So that, that's a good trick either way. If it works, it, it's great. If it doesn't work, it's a good crowd pleaser. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone ever got hurt doing that? No, no. Although I did, I did do it in rehearsal years ago in IMT in Melbourne tonight on chan- uh, Channel 9 and then... Um, what happened was I wasn't concentrating in rehearsal. I did hit somebody, <laughs> quite a well-known person in. in Name the, names, come on. No, no, you know the weather man on uh, Channel Nine. At Rob Gell. No, no, on Channel Nine when, in the morning show. He's oh, on now. Um, yeah, I know I, who you mean. The I'm guy just, that used to work with Steve Liebman, yeah, and he was a, a bit of a fella. joker. Yeah, he's a, he's a very good professional. But all he said was, "Do it again." <laughs> so we did it. But on the night, it's it works. Works a hundred percent of the time. It's no problem. So anybody can see it. I, I do shows all the time with it on. We'll have to get the tape. There was a very funny exchange between those two one morning, where they were crossing out Steve. of a rodeo yeah. scene, and Steve crosses to the weatherman and says, "Have you ever ridden a cow?" And there's a long pause where uh, I think he's sort of starting to giggle and perhaps think about some of his ex-wives. But anyway, <laughs> um, we uh, we will move on, mate. You've commentated this stuff. Yeah. Do they still whisper? In the commentary, well, we, snooker. Well, it it gives it a bit more atmosphere. It does. But uh, I mean, the original, you don't really have to do that. But originally, when uh, Ted Lowe was doing it for Pot Black and stuff, they didn't have a commentary booth, so he had to whisper at the back of the. Uh, so that's how it started. Does the hand-eye coordination from snooker billiards, Paul? Does it parlay at all? I mean, are you handy with a cricket bat, for example, or shooting at the darts board? I wasn't bad at golf, but I concentrate on billiards and snooker. I probably should have. Stuck to golf, I might have made more money, but no, not really. That's uh, but yeah, there is a lot. Uh, there's a lot of good snooker players who are very good at golf. And the other thing I wanted to know, I think all of us wish we had the type of pool skill that we could just wander up to somebody in a pub and shock the crap out of them by showing absolute precision. Do you ever do that just to mess with people? Oh, not really. I'm not. I'm not a real hustler. I've played for a lot of money, but I haven't. I'm not a hustler. Well, Robbie Foldvari, three-time billiard world champion, uh, available for corporate gigs too. We'll make sure we've got your details on our social media. Good to chat, Robbie. My pleasure. Danny Green Health and Fitness with Danny Green. And he conquers Triple M every Saturday morning. He's our favourite regular. Good morning, Greeny. Good morning, Seb. How are you, mate? Mate, well, this weekend I want to channel this man. 
get off the couch, don't be a couch potato, and just sit there and watch movies or watch TV, except if they're my movies. Of course, you can watch them all you want. <laughs> he, he was pretty good at building the muscle, the great Arnie. How do you put on muscle? What's more important, diet or lifting weights? Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a combination of both, Seb. So you've got to, you know, you've got to lift heavier weights or do more repetitions and have less rest in between those repetitions. And you've also got to up the uh, protein in your diet and you've just got to increase the amount of food you eat. So when you finish training, it's always good to have a protein shake on hand. Smash that protein shake to then fuel the muscles and then have a few carbs, a bit of fruit, whatever, straight after as well. True or false, you are about to tuck into a protein shake right now. Very true, mate. <laughs> so that's how I start every day, mate. So I'm hanging out. I wake up, get the kids ready to go uh, to go out and do their thing. And, um, yeah, we're going to smash a protein shake. Delicious. Mate, so tell us this. You're saying you've got to tighten up the time between sets. So that's you get on the, you get on the bench, you, you crank out your 10 repetitions of a bench press, you then have a rest before you go back again. If you want to build muscle, what's the perfect time for that rest? How long? Oh, look, probably about 30 to 45 seconds. Yep, that sounds painful, but no doubt the uh, results are there for all to see. Uh, Team Danny Green, of course, is your exercise program. Just to take a little detour, Greeny, I saw on your Instagram 564 likes for a photo of a big muscle car. You like your muscle cars, don't you? What's your ride again? Oh, I'm gonna, that was my cousin. My cousin went out and bought an SS Camaro, and I wanted that had been restored. It was beautiful. Um, I've got a 74 XB Cooper Falcon, mate. It's the, the kind of same car that was out of Mad Max, and it's always been had over 10 years, over 10 years now, and I've got the 514 big block in it, and it's got, uh, you know, big 345 boots in the back, and it's, it sounds like a, it sounds like a T-Rex with a sore throat. I have only ever heard you speak so lovingly of one other thing, and that's your family. There's clearly <laughs> a special relationship between you and the vehicle. I, I literally am in love with this thing. And, you know, and the honeymoon, just the honeymoon will never end, mate. <laughs> 10-year honeymoon. <laughs> it's still going strong, mate. <laughs> Fantastic. Will you have a ripper weekend? Team Danny Green is the program you need to ch- uh, check out. And uh, your Eagles, of course, this weekend, Greeny, taking on the Gold Coast over there in Perth. Easy win for you, surely. Oh, you fool, mate. The Gold Coast, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a great running side, a lot of skill. You can just never know what's going on. But, yes, I'm definitely backing my boys. I think they're going to... Been in a win comfortably, but you just never know today. The competition's just so bloody tight. Have a fabulous weekend. We'll speak to you next Saturday. Thanks, mate. You too, and to all the crew out there in Triple M listening. Have a fantastic weekend, guys. It's been the biggest talking point of the week the multiple shooting attacks on the Kittens Strip Club friend. Good evening. We begin with breaking news and police are hunting at least two men behind a drive-by shooting in South Melbourne. Three shots were fired into the Kittens Strip Club. Heard one gunshot, we all ran outside and yeah, heard a second one. Saw a guy just walk out of his car, walk straight up to the front door and yeah, fire another couple of shots. It's pretty crazy. Okay, so we know Mick Malloy's outraged. We know there's been multiple shooting attacks, but what is really going on? And to help us out with that, we are joined by the crime reporter from the Herald Sun. Good morning, David Hurley. Morning, Seb. How are you? Exceptional. David, we keep hearing bikey links about these shootings. What outlaw motorcycle gang are police looking at as they investigate this? Well, as the Herald Sun understands, uh, the Echo Anti-Bikey Task Force are looking at people associated with the Common Chero's bikey gang. What was the first attack? The first attack happened at the end of November last year. Um, uh, a bouncer standing outside the strip club was uh, hit in the face with a few pellets from a shotgun. Uh, That was followed up then by one at the start of January this year, a very similar, again, at the South Melbourne venue, uh, a shotgun used uh, 
from a car driving past and, and another bouncer, a different bouncer will tip. And Dave, explain to us, you know, the police and the courts, they'll determine exactly what this is all about. But one of the theories I understand actually relates to security at the venue. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right, Seb. Um, police have long believed that these attacks are all to do with somebody wanting to get overall control of the security industry in that area. We believe that kittens have resisted moves um, by certain individuals to, to muscle in on on their security. Now, they did have a man they used um, by the name of Clay Amitagi. It was understood that he, he, he and his company were the reason, were the targets of the attacks originally. He was shot himself, but wasn't he, that Mr. Amitagi? That's right. He was shot himself uh, last September outside uh, uh, his his gym in Narry Warren. Following the second gun attack in January, Mr. Amitagi and Kitten parted parted ways uh, amicably. Uh, it was decided it was a, the, the best thing for both parties to try you know, and bring these attacks to an end. The crime reporter from the Herald Sun, David Hurley, bringing us up to speed with everything you need to know about this dynamic situation. Thanks, Dave. No worries, Seb. Big event coming up on the 10th of June at the Crown Palladium. Yeah, the Saints are putting on the business and sports lunch, and I'm emceeing it, and it is a big debate. The question, bring back the power forward, yes or no? And it's a group of forwards, Jason Dunstall, John O'Brown, Matty Richardson, debating a group of defenders. Brian Lake, Leo Barry, and the captain of that defensive team will be our own Spud Frawley, who joins us now in his first appearance on the weekend breakfast. Spud, uh, Buddy kicked three last night, 40 for the year. Are we seeing the power forward coming back? Bring back the power defender, I say. Um, yeah, let, let's bring the defenders back as well. I know the forwards, they get it all put on a, you know, a silver platter. You know, you had Dunstall there at Waverley, just sort of leading left or right. I'm waiting for Darren Jarman to say, put it on my left, hit on my right. And, <laughs> but then the defenders actually get a, get a bit more um, kudos as well, Seb, because those are some of the great fond memories I had um, through the 80s and 90s, just the, the, the duels that you'd come up week in, week out. Are they a bit up themselves, those forwards? I wouldn't say up themselves, Seb. They're basically selfish pricks. <laughs> Um, it's all about them, mate. It was all about them. Let's clear out the 50, and, you know, no one else was allowed to get in there, especially Big Brian. Like, talk about a bully. Um, you know, even if, the, even if the team runner came inside the forward 50, he'd, he'd uh, throw the toys out of the cot. You know, he'd get, that big, he'd get that big leg of ham there, just sort of shaking it at the runner, and uh, it was all about him, Brian, and there's no doubt the Chief. Look, I, it was quite interesting with the Chief. I um I never spoke to him once, not once. Um, in twelve or thirteen years, we probably played on each other, um, and you know he gave me some awful touch-ups, the chief. But you know I got on top a couple of times myself. But I didn't realise he was such a pig of a person, um, <laughs> and such a such a non um, humaniser. And the, the word I'm trying to use there, he, he basically doesn't like people. Right. Look, he gets on with himself just okay, I think, but. I didn't realise he was such a an ordinary bloke. Right. And if I had, and I've had known that when I played on him, I would have given him a bit more lip. Absolutely. Well, mate, he's going to be a part of this function. You and I are going to be there. The Saints Business and Sport Luncheon, where Bring Back the Power Forward will be debated. It's Dunstall, John O'Brown, Matthew Richardson, V. D. Frawley, Brian Lake, and Leo Barry. Spud, are you going to win this one? With those three names there, Barry, Brian Lake, and Frawley, I would have thought. I think we'll, have, we'll hold our own, mate. Yeah. We'll hold our own. I think Lakey, he's an, an outstanding performer. He calls it as he sees it. And, you know, what a great story. And, of course, Leo Barry, basically, 
uh, won Sydney Swans a grand final on his own. His mark at the end of the game will go down as probably the greatest mark of all time. Looking forward to speaking to Matthew Richardson as well. He, I coach Richo. He sent me off my rocker. Um, I lost me marbles <laughs> coaching Richo. So looking forward to getting into him. And not only that, hearing the story when he played his first game on a wily old veteran in Danny Frawley. So Richo ran around the, the vast expanses of uh, the MCG with this, the most ordinary looking haircut I'd ever seen on someone. It was, it was sort of like a, just a fringe all the way around his skull. And, uh, <laughs> He had to pull his, put his hands apart to, to see the footy, and I thought, what is this gangly young Austries doing? But, geez, did he end up being a good player? He, he could play. Goals record holder at the MCG. Well, secure your spot. Tickets are available at tickstar.com. It's on the 10th of June at the Crown Palladium. Spud, before you go, I uh, do need to raise something. You've been ripping into us nine news, boys. First, the chomp. Uh, then, uh, look, you... Uh, just brought up that maybe I was getting a bit ahead of myself. He's got love bites in the mirror. He drinks his own bar <laughs> for the moment. star of the caper spot. I saw him walk out of the hot breakfast last week. Yes. I was over at the paper shop. Seriously, he walked across the road. Have a look at me. <laughs> oh, his head nearly wobbled off. Oh, the tram stop and his head was wobbling. Spud, I thought we were mates. We are mates, Seb, but, mate, that, that night on Channel News when you're crossing to the NFL guy with an NFL hat on, mate, it wasn't, wasn't your greatest day, let's face it. You, you probably thought this, this, looked at, this looked funny at about 8 o'clock in the morning, but when it went on National Line News that night, I think even you looked at it and thought, what a complete imbecile I've made of myself. And, and, to get, and to get under the chomp, mate, yeah. he gave me another clip during the week, so oh. stay tuned for the rub, but... The thing with the chomps there, Ben, yourself, mm. I've got to be careful because, as you know, my brand is flying. Yep. I've got to be careful I don't uh. talk about you guys too much because then you, you sort of hang on the, the end of my coattails because no one knew Tony Jones till I started calling him Chompers. It's changed his life. It's changed his life, and now he's got a sense of humour. Yeah. So I've got to be very careful who it's I not... bring into the fold, but I'm quite happy to bring you in, Seb, because you get it. You, Thank you, You mate. like people... You like people taking the absolute P.I. double five out of you. You don't take it personally. You know what? After you had a go at the chomp, I had to go up to him in the newsroom and I said, Tone, you know, Spud's had a go at you. He's had a go at me. I guess just when it comes to our nine news boys, it's clear Spud hates you, Tony, more than he hates me. Oh, no, we had a few run-ins there and chomp. And, of course, those new chompers, he's had a, oh. a re-buffing of them. He gets them polished, apparently, Every Friday morning, yes. and they're just absolutely glistening on the news at the moment. Danny Frawley, the event is on June 10, and I'm looking forward to doing it with you. Now, look, get down to uh, the Crown Palladium. The, the Saints staff, have, uh, their, their functions have been absolutely outstanding. The, the Hall of Fame night was, was great at Crown a couple of months ago, and as you said, Steve Waugh and, and the Gunfords and a couple of old hack defenders there. It'll be, it'll be a fun afternoon, Seb. Looking forward to it. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the 1993 Grand Final, but it's a lot, and that is why it is such a thrill and a privilege to have these two gentlemen in here to talk about a really special week for footy, Indigenous Round, Doug Nichols Round. I welcome in the great Norm Smith medalist himself. Good morning, Michael Long. Morning, Seb. And the Brownlow medalist from the 1993 season. G'day, Gavin Wanganine. Good morning, mate. Now, Longy, we need to get the important stuff out of the way first, once and for all. 
You've split the middle of the MCG, taken about 100 bounces, run 600 metres, then put it straight over Steve Silvani. Did he touch the ball or not in that famous goal in the 93 grand final? I think that's a question I get asked a fair bit. <laughs> I actually got it asked um, when we played uh, Carlton, I think early in the, the NAB Cup uh, challenge. And uh, I think one of the younger guys who said, oh, it was touched. I said, I don't think you were alive when the actual <laughs> game was played, but... Uh, I think it's one of those things that will just carry on forever that, that uh, you know, we didn't have the the TVs would focus in on, you know, whether it was touch or how close it was. But uh, Steve, Steve has never admitted it, but behind closed doors he has. Yeah, good. I'm glad, I'm glad he's found a little honesty because that's hard for those Carlton blokes sometimes. Well, I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> and if it is uh, Indigenous round, the Bombers are wearing a terrific uh, Indigenous jumper that you've actually designed. And uh, I'll read from an inscription that's on the collar here. It tells a story uh, of, the, of how my people have contributed to the Essendon Football Club's rich history and to the great game that is AFL. What's the story behind this jumper? Yeah, look, I've had the privilege to um, uh, design the jumper for this year's Dreamtime game, which was a huge honour for me, and I'm really excited to see the boys run out in that. Um, so I thought I'd just uh, represent uh, or have the, each of the players, who, who've, the Indigenous players, sorry, who, who've, represent, who've represented the Essendon Footy Club, you know, over the time. So there's, there's 23 and so they are represented in the U-shapes on the jumper, and right in the middle there's a, a few circles, and that represents the Essendon Footy Club. So all those players are, you know, are represented there in their journey to the Essendon Footy Club because um, I think that's important that they're, they're represented. Sure, a lot of those players are not household names, you know, like your Michael Longs and so on, and a few of them only went on to play, you know, a handful of games, a couple of games here and there. Guys, you know, you probably wouldn't even know, like guys like Lachlan Ross, Russell Williams, uh, William Dick, and so on. So I just felt that was important to represent them uh, as, you know, a lot of Indigenous people are coming from so far back. Uh, It ain't funny. Um, So I thought that was really good to mention them. I can't tell you what a privilege it is to speak to you boys because when I think of you guys, both of you as a footy fan, he was two Indigenous men who were genuine stars of the competition around the time the majority of football fans started to get the racism thing, started to get that saying something over the fence you know, wasn't acceptable when you were describing you know, somebody's skin colour and their racial background. And it didn't come easy for you, Longy. I mean, where did you find the bravery to stand up as you did throughout the 90s and say, right, we need a real conversation here? Yeah, well, it's probably a handful of players back when we first started and, you know, the players like Michael McLean were there and Nicky Winmar. Um, <clears throat> and I think um, over that journey, I mean, I mean, Sheeds has to be praised here for, for his vision and I reckon when I got to the club, there might have been four or five of us. And Lachlan Ross was probably one of those guys um, in Shawnee Lou Fat. Um, so we, uh, I think um, a lot of pl- a lot of teams sort of followed in Sheed's footsteps and his vision, you know, having more Indigenous players and presence. And then you looked at Frio with Jared Neesham. And then I think it just had a rippling effect. But it was, um, look, it was challenging back in those days and the old what was said on the field was left on it. But um, uh, it was more than just, just that, you know, just, you know, using something was... Um, you know, not not warranted to any whether it's any culture. So that that um, had its confrontations, um, but I think most importantly, it it, uh, it really gave an opening to to other cultures in our great game. You know, it was so multicultural as it is now, and it just changed. 
you know, um, I think from 95 when um, the, the incident. With Bunkhorst? Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's, I think it's given other cultures a, an opening. And th- there's a rule now in place. But I think most, most clubs are, you know, football's been a great advocate, a great ally, you know, in terms of, you know, breaking down barriers, um, you know, learning about so many different cultures and to where the game is today, you know, like you, you only have to look around where it is and where it's come from and how it's changed. Sheed's back at the club now. Do you and him still enjoy a close relationship? I can't get rid of him. <laughs> he follows me everywhere. He even followed me down to Sydney for a couple of years yeah. and he's back again. Um, look, it's great to, 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 Sheed's, to see him back at the, the Red and Black and obviously at a time, a challenging time for the club, that Sheed's has come back and uh, it, I think it restores a lot of faith because um, Sheed's is a legend of, of, of the Essendon Football Club as well as the Richmond Football Club. For our corporate partners who stayed with us, that that's important, and, and to a faith of our our, our, our bombers, our members and, and fans of the football club, which is really important. I think Sheets brings a lot of that back. Um, obviously, instilled uh, the new coach with the worst foal. I think we're on the right path to something quite uh, special, and obviously at a challenging time, uh, this year gives us an opportunity to play some of our younger kids who'll come through and hopefully benefit uh, in the next two or three years for that. And of course, the uh, the long walk back again as uh, part of the recognition of the Indigenous Aboriginal culture, uh, the dream time of the G event. Longy, you'll be uh, taking people up to the up to the ground? Yeah, look, um, yeah, people can log on to the website. Um, uh, to Thelongwalk.com.au? Yep. Um, I think everything starts about just after lunch and I think 4.30. The, the walk starts a little bit earlier this year because... Um, I think we get opportunity for probably our, our presidents and other corporates to, to come along and be involved with the walk. So that's that, that's been great, and it's it's sort of a good time for our young kids to, to join in the walk as well. I'm going to call you two Essendon legends, although, Wanga, you had a bit to do at the Port Adelaide Football Club too. Both dual premiership players, uh, Brownlow medalist and Norm Smith medalist. Yeah, he left us. He, he did. Us. Oh, it was a sad day. <laughs> well, sad, I think all our supporters day. cried. I think I cried, actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I pleaded with him. I, yeah. I pleaded with him, yeah. It was like, just the zeros that made the difference. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. It was a telephone number. I'm not yeah. touching that one. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. No. He's been a great uh, legend of that. I've still got red and black bl- blood running from my veins, yeah. that's for sure. That's what I like to hear. And yeah. you've uh, you've proved it by designing this uh, tremendous jumper for the Dreamtime at the G. Tonight at the MCG, Bombers and the Tigers. Michael Long, Gavin Wanganeen, a privilege to talk to both of you. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Right now... In studio from the Resilience Project is a man by the name of Hugh Van Kylenberg. And you may have read Hugh's name before. Talks to footy clubs and, and school groups about the importance of being positive and mental health. But he's also credited with getting the Tigers over the line in the game against Sydney, where Sammy Lloyd kicked the winning goal because you, uh, Huey, gave them a little speech in the days before that famous win. I did. I reckon that might have been a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> a bit of a stretch from the Herald Sun, take but credit, I'll take mate. it. I'll take, take it anyway. <laughs> so tell us about that though. You got invited in and uh, what, what was the presentation about? Uh, so the reason I ended up there, uh, the backstory was that um, having worked with the Hawthorne Football Club, Chris Newman now obviously on the coaching staff there, got in touch with Dave Asprey, I think it was, uh, and, and Dave Asprey gave me a call and said, we're pretty keen to, you know, um, you know, come and We'd, you know, we'd love you to come and speak to the boys. So, so I did that um, on the Tuesday before they played. And it was just good timing for me. You know, I spoke <laughs> on the Tuesday. I got up uh, by a point because of Sam Lloyd's yep. kick after the siren. And, and, and now I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> yeah, well, mate, why not? And it was a sort of particular story that resonated, wasn't it? It's a, a story you tell about a, a boy you met in India. Yeah, so back in 2008, I was living, uh, living in India and I was volunteering uh, up, in a, you know, up in the desert, uh, up in a village community, in a community with no running water. 
uh, no electricity. You know, there's no beds. Uh, I met a kid up there who, who actually, who doesn't have a home, doesn't have a family, sleeps out in a gutter under a cardboard box. Uh, and he was still to this day, he's the happiest person I've ever met in my entire life. Just so good at, um, he's, he's just so positive, so optimistic. And, uh, and, and I told the story uh, to the boys because one of the key messages we talk about is gratitude, getting the boys to understand that, you know, there, there are so many things in life, you know, you know they have to be grateful for. Uh, and this kid taught me that it was this little kid who taught me that because every time he saw something he's grateful for, he'd stop. Uh, he'd just point to it. Uh, he tried so hard to say the word this, but he couldn't pronounce the TH. So he'd just say the word dis instead. Right. Uh, and, and, and I'll just give examples to the boys that, you know, my favorite ones, whenever he puts his shoes on, he, um, tie up his shoelaces, this kid, and he, he, he'd cut, he'd, you know, he got scissors, he'd cut the end off his shoes and his toes are sticking that far outside the end of his shoes. Every time he put on his shoes, he'd just point to his shoes and say, this, this, and, and same as with his friends, if he's having a great moment with his friends, he'd just point to his friends and he'd say, this person, this person. Same when we gave him lunch every day for lunch, we got a bowl of rice with salt on it. That was it. But, but without Gosh. fail, pointed his rice and he'd say, this, this. Yeah. So I remember telling the Richmond boys, and actually I remember watching them walk out of the, um, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, they're walking out of the meeting room and, and, and I was watching them all pointing at things around the club saying, this, this, and I thought, gosh, this <laughs> kind of had a bit of impact with them, but I had no idea uh, how much an impact when I checked my social media on Saturday night after the game. After they won, absolutely. Yeah, mate, I heard a little rumour too that uh, given that the message was all about, you know, gratitude and doing things for other people, that uh, one of the players may have actually stepped up and uh, fixed you up the fee for the presentation on behalf of the club. Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah, one of the boys, because I mean, the final message we talk about is empathy, which is doing things for other people, putting yourself, you know, putting other people before you, you know, basically thinking about other people before you think about yourself. And, and one of the players uh, got in touch a couple of days later and just said that, you know, he said, can you send the invoice to your program to me? And I was a bit awkward about it and said, no, I'd look, I'd rather the club fix it up. And, and we give the boys these journals, these, these wellbeing journals, they can go and practice positive mental health stuff. And he said, mate, send that to me. I said, I'll take care of that one. So there you go. Uh, which is um, who was it? Oh, I'm not sure he's overly comfortable with me sharing, so I might keep it under wraps for now. But, uh, I had to ask. Now, the uh, Resilience Project, you do these presentations all around town. What is it all about? Uh, so the Resilience Project has been has been going around for about five or six years now. So basically, we go to schools uh, and corporates and we talk to people about positive mental health strategies. Now, the, uh, the statistics around mental illness at the moment are horrifying around Australia. we got one in three adolescent girls in Australia with a mental illness now. Mm. Uh, and we got one in five boys. We have one in seven primary school kids with a mental illness now. Um, and so we're just going to schools and we're just trying to teach kids about things they can do to, um, you know, to try and, I suppose, avoid mental illness. But then if it's become a problem already, you know, the ways we can intervene and help them out. Um, and it's it's been going for about five years. And the Melbourne Storm found out about it last year uh, through a great man called Brian Phelan, who, who runs the wellbeing program there along with, uh, along with a couple others. Because you've been through a few of the NRL clubs uh, and as well as the AFL clubs. So it's uh, obviously a message that's taking hold there. The Resilience Project is what it's called. Check it out online. Uh, Hugh Van Kylenberg, good to chat. Uh, and you were pretty handy uh, with the willow too, uh, if I uh, recall correctly. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> no, not, not uh, playing. You were what, down at uh, Melbourne Uni, I seem to remember? Uh, yeah, yeah, coaching Melbourne Uni yeah. now, uh, which, which is a great honour. But, but um, I'm a bowler, so every year I just get slower and slower and slower to the point where <laughs> they're hardly getting there uh, down the other end at the moment. <laughs> oh, well, mate, that's, uh, it's, it's good to get out there and have some fun, though. Hugh Van Kylenberg, good to chat. Cheers. Thanks, Seb. NBA playoffs going on as we speak. This morning, Cleveland and Toronto will do battle. That series currently sitting 3-2. That kicks off around 10 a.m. But yesterday, big win to the Golden State Warriors. Andrew Bogut 
terrific. 15 points from the big fella. And it made the series back to 3-2. Still in the favour of the Thunder with Game 6 in Oklahoma. To tell us more, we are joined by our man in the United States from Starting 5 Online. Good morning, Nick Medellinos. Deb, good morning. Always a pleasure being on uh, my favourite talk show host. Uh, you know how to say all the right things, mate. Now, yesterday... Our man, Andrew Bogut, was getting it done. Here's what his coach, Steve Kerr, had to say about Bogues' performance. Bogues was phenomenal. Um, he rebounded, he scored, he was aggressive. Um, so when he can play that way and, and rebound the ball like that, um, it, it just gives us a much better chance to, to win the game. Hasn't been a big scorer, put up 15 points last night. He was good. Yeah, he was more than good. He had 15 rebounds to go with those 15 points as well. But the main thing with Bogues, and we've been seeing this, you know, for the past couple of seasons. He's the anchor to that Golden State Warriors defense. Series sits at three-two in favor of the Oklahoma City Thunder. It goes back to Oklahoma now. If the Thunder win this, it's series over. How do you see this playing out? I still think the Thunder will win. Um, you know, but you can't write off the Golden State Warriors. The thing with the Warriors is they had to take it game by game. I mean, they basically have to worry about Game Six because without Game Six, there's not going to be a Game Seven. How is that playing out in America? The fact that we've got the Warriors 73-9, and the greatest regular season in the history of the NBA, and they're on the brink of missing out on the NBA Finals. There's been a little bit of a backlash towards the Warriors. Like, you know, it just feels like the haters are coming out and pointing out the flaws in, you know, what they've been doing wrong this series and what's been happening and Steph Curry's been injured and all that sort of stuff. So... You know, if they lose, I, I don't know if the public perception of them is going to change because they've become America's team. Um, but there's a whole lot more haters out at the moment than there was before this year started. Part of the reason they are America's team too is because of Steph Curry. He's this guy that's really sort of accessible. You know, he's six foot three. Kids love him, and yet he can shoot over the top of anybody. You move in these sort of circles. You buddy up to the great stars of the NBA. Have you run into Steph Curry uh, in uh, in the course of your business? I've been over here four years now, covering the league, um, and in my first year here, which was 2012. Um, you know, the Warriors obviously weren't the juggernaut that they are now, and Steph Curry wasn't the player that he is now. And if anyone told you back then that he would become what he is today, you know, you would have been laughed off. You know, it was just, we, we didn't think he was going to be this good. And it was funny, after one game, they, they were playing in Brooklyn, um, and post-game, there was literally hardly any media inside that locker room, and there was three of us interviewing Steph Curry. It was myself and, and two other people and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe the quotes that I was getting. He was just fantastic. Spoke with him for a good, you know, four or five minutes. Like I said, there was hardly anyone else around. And then you fast forward to this season, and there's literally a hundred media members around Steph Curry. You just can't even get close to the guy anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> is he humble? Is he is he a nice time. bloke? He is. He is. He's a, he's a great guy. But you know, he's just gotten so big now, and and the media attention around him is so intense that it's just impossible to get any quality you know, time. It's, it's just got to be done within the media scrum rather than being able to catch him and, and getting some quality one-on-one time. Steph Curry's big and you are not far behind him, Nick Medellino. Starting five <laughs> online is where you will find the great man. NBA playoffs, the Cavs and the Raptors today, 10.30. Big game for the Cavs to stay in that series. Nick Medellino, good to chat, mate. Always a pleasure, never a chore. 
Neroli Meadows from Fox Sports is here. G'day, Nez. I hope you're listening to your last guest and paying really staunch attention to what Hugh was saying, Seb, because occasionally you should put others ahead of yourself. That's that's very good. I I always try to do that, sometimes fall a little bit short. <laughs> I want to hear about your night last night, though. Um, uh, it's a very exciting social life you have. Ah, now, firstly, if I may say so, Brian Taylor has texted me. He has said he is just boarding a plane. The plane is moving and he won't be appearing on the weekend breakfast this morning. Do you think that's the truth or did he just not want to (laughs) reply to Spud calling him a P-R-I-C-K? Yeah, look, that's uh, that's a very good question and one I will spend some time thinking about. Uh, During the week, I saw your story on the school inside the the Richmond Footy Club, group of uh, Indigenous kids who, what, have lessons like a, like a regular school? I think this is amazing. It's yeah. essentially been secret until now because it's a brand new school. And for the first time, they invited cameras in. They invited Fox Sports in and we did a story on it. 22 students go to school full-time inside the Richmond Footy Club. So they live on a, in, in boarding houses across the road and they trudge across to go to school across Punt Road and they go to school every day full-time cool. in a classroom inside the club. And the players just pop by from time to time and say hello and Choco Williams treats them all like they're almost his own kids. It's it's awesome. It sounds like a little clandestine recruiting program too. I'm sure a few of them are pretty <laughs> handy with a footy. They've had some great Indigenous players, the Tigers, I think, in Morris Rio. Who's your favourite Indigenous footballer? I have to go. I mean, I think favourite players always go back to when you were a kid and yep. you loved it through the eyes of, of a kid just loving the game. And, and mine would be... Peter Matera. Oh yeah, good play. Oh, such a good player. Um, you know, half Italian, half Aboriginal, and and he would be my favourite Indigenous player. The things that he could do, and this was before the Frio existed, and, and all those sorts of things. So seeing what he did in in those grand finals, he's a Norm Smith medalist, and he was just as good as it gets for me. Michael Long for mine, who we spoke to before, the way he cut Carlton to ribbons, grand final day '93. I was six, and I won't forget it. Now, so let's build a bit of a list. One triple three five three. Who's your favourite Indigenous footballer? We got some tickets to Now You See Me Too, which you could you could use for, for a date, maybe Nez or something, or take a friend along. It's in cinemas on June 2. Who is your favourite Indigenous footballer? One triple three five three. G'day, Simon. Hey, uh, mate. Who's your favourite Indigenous AFL player? Uh, Neon Leon Davis. Inside 50 go the pie, starting to get exciting. Here's Leon oh. Bryant. Oh, oh, there oh. he is. Leon, he gets the ball from the top, he bangs it home. Jesus, <laughs> your talent knows no limit, Leon, a very special man. <laughs> I get the feeling BT likes Neon Leon as well. He does. Hello, Linda at Nary Warren. Hi, how are you? Who's your favourite? Nicky Winmar, not only for his skills, but when he lifted his jumper to show his colour of his skin and say no to racism. You know, I still get goosebumps just when you mention it. I get full body goosebumps. What a brave thing to do. And, you know, we all just grew up knowing that message. It's awesome. Special day. Hey, Rory. Hello. Who are you nominating, Rosa? I've got uh, uh, Morris Rioli from Richmond. Yeah, good call. One of the greatest tacklers ever, so I am told. And to finish us off, Mark at Altona. Yeah, how you going? Good, mate. Throw a name at us. Uh, Surioli. Ah, yes. Delicious. Just the way he lights up the ground every time he touches the ball. It's just amazing. He's terrific. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Uh, I think we'll give the movie tickets to Simon, who brought us Leon Davis. Now You See Me Too about the magicians. It's in cinemas on June the 2nd. Simon, uh, hang on there. Jakey, you'll get your details. Nez, you got a busy weekend ahead? Yeah, AFL tonight. Uh, 
10.30 tonight on Fox Footy and then once again straight after bounce 8.20 tomorrow night on Fox Footy. Jeez. AFL tonight will have all the highlights and it should be a wonderful clash dream time at the G. Yep. Even though Essendon are a little bit depleted, it's always just such a magical uh, you know, occasion. I spoke to Daniel Rioli. We spoke of Cyril just now. We spoke to Daniel Rioli during the week and he gets to play his first ever dream time at the G clash and he just you can't wipe the smile off his face. It means so much. He's a happy man. If you do get a chance, Federation Square, Gavin Wanganeen's art exhibition, shooting star at the Koori Heritage Trust. I was down at the opening during the week uh, and he was a great footballer and he he is a very, very good artist. Well, Choco Williams was speaking about this during the week when I was in the classroom, just saying how he was encouraging him years ago because he had such amazing talent. So he's so happy that he's finally following through and doing these amazing artworks. And much uh, on in the personal life for you, uh Sort of dates or this is the last time or... I tell you anything about my personal life no, when we're off air, no, just no, quietly. Just, oh, well, I was just fishing in the dark, seeing if there was anything uh, that we need to know about. Uh, have a great weekend. I'm not talking to you anymore. Oh, I've been given the cold shoulder. That was <laughs> Nearly Meadows, the voice you can hear laughing in the background. Thank you to all our callers and thank you to the Eagle Ridge Golf Club who brings us the weekend breakfast. We will see you next Saturday.